0: If you got your Bibles with you, please open to Ruth, the book of Ruth. And if you're struggling to find that, right in between Judges and First Samuel, we're in week two of five in Ruth's uh, not Ruth's gospel in the book of Ruth. And uh, just how about a quick recap. The book of Ruth starts off with a famine in the land of Bethlehem, right? Bethlehem meaning the house of bread. Literally, there is no bread in the house of bread. And so Elimelech takes his wife Naomi and his sons Malon and Chilion about 80 kilometers over to the land of Moab because there's a famine and he doesn't want to die. Elimelech dies anyway, and then his sons die. Not before they are married for about ten years, with no children. And Ruth and his her mother-in-law Naomi decide to head back together to Bethlehem. The narrator here says that the Lord God has provided. Food in Bethlehem. God's mentioned only twice by the narrator. Once when he provides food and once when he provides a baby in chapter 4. God is good. He is sovereign and good. We also see in chapter one that, that Ruth gets converted. She, becomes, she goes from uh, worshiping a false god, maybe Chamash or Baal, and she goes to become a believer of the true God, the God of the Bible. And they arrive back in Bethlehem at the start of the barley harvest. There's been a famine, and now God has provided food. This is where we pick up in chapter 2, in what I think is one of the greatest short stories ever written. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Naomi, And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, Daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that your spirit would work through your word and the preaching of your word. And may we come to know more of you and understand more of you. May we appreciate your grace and your kindness to us as we read of your kindness to Ruth and Naomi in this story. In Jesus' name, amen. So the narrator kicks off Ruth chapter 2 by saying that there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. He's said to be a a worthy man, meaning he is both wealthy and a man of integrity. Boaz, remember, the name seemed to mean quite a lot in the story. Elimelech, my god is king. Naomi, sweetness. Boaz means in him is strength. Bit of an old word. Most commentaries say he is a man of valor. He was not married. That means he was either widowed or had never married. And his father was Salmon, And his mother, might ring, her name might ring a bell, Rahab. Boaz's mother was Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho. And so we see, here at the start of chapter 2, that the hand of God, that invisible hand of God, begins working again, bringing blessing into a difficult situation. So Ruth decides to go do some work, to go get some grain, to support her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. So there's possibly a big communal field, and it would have been broken up into plots. And there was provision in the Old Testament law for widows, orphans, and immigrants. For example, Leviticus 23, verse 20. Two says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Also, Deuteronomy twenty-four nineteen. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So God in the Old Testament civil law made a provision for people that needed help, namely widows and orphans and people that had come from out of town. You were not allowed to gather all of the, the wheat or the barley in your field. You were supposed to leave the edges free so that the less privileged people could come and glean from there. And if you forgot, if you got a sheaf of, of barley or wheat in, in your field, leave it there. Let someone come along and take it. And I think we, we see in that, and that we see something here, and that God's law is good. God thought this through. There was basically a little welfare system tied into God's law. Ruth goes and asks permission if she can begin gleaning some wheat and barley, even though it was her right. Maybe she does this because she doesn't truly understand the law, or maybe she's just doing this because she is humble. Nevertheless, She goes and asks permission. And so Ruth comes by blind coincidence to the field owned by Boaz. She just happened to come to the field owned by Boaz. Was it coincidence? Tell me, is there coincidence with God? One person shaking her head. Absolutely not. This is God's providence. To borrow Aristotle's language, God is the first cause, and man is the second cause. Ruth went looking to glean in a field, and God guided her so much so that she wound up in the field that was owned by Boaz. And Boaz is a worthy man and a relative of Naomi. Boaz is most likely the brother or the cousin of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. God is good, God is sovereign, and he is at work here, guiding Ruth towards Boaz. I think it's quite amazing if you've ever had a, a Christian boss, maybe not so, but if you, you, you work for most bosses, they're, they're, not, they're not believers. And Boaz shows up to his field in verse 4, and he says to his workers, The Lord be with you. And his workers say, The Lord bless you. Boaz is a believer in the true God. He's an honorable man. And he runs his business with integrity. He basically shows up and gives the blessing from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you, that one. He gives the blessing to his workers in the field as he arrives. He is a believer in God, and that impacts the way that he runs his business. And Boaz goes out and notices that there's a new woman in the field. And he asks about her, whose young woman is this? He's asking, to which family, to which tribe, who is this woman and where does she come from? Some people want to say that this was love at first sight. That Boaz jumps out of his cow, looks into the field, and falls in love with an attractive woman in the field. I don't think so. I don't think so. Not trying to be offensive here. She'd been working for a number of hours in a field at this point. No makeup. Dirty. Sweaty. Her hair is up in a ponytail. Maybe. But I don't think there's anything in this text to suggest that this was love at first sight for Boaz and Ruth. But what we do see, and we'll talk about this more next week, that it's ultimately the character of Ruth which makes her attractive for Boaz. There is a lesson in there, am I right? It is the character of Ruth which attracts her to Boaz, And so she asks Boaz asks the young man who's in charge of uh, his field is. she is and he says this is the Moabite woman who came with Naomi. Word of the fact that Naomi had moved to Bethlehem to follow the true God and move with her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem had spread throughout the town. Word had got around and so the young man said to Boaz this is that woman And the man says that she'd been respectful. She'd come up and asked if she could glean the leftovers after the reapers. And he tells Boaz, she's been working hard all day up until this point. And in verse 8, Boaz starts talking to Ruth. Now listen, my daughter. If you know what happens next, and you live in the 21st century like the rest of us do, this seems a little bit weird. He calls her my daughter. They get married in chapter 3. Let me explain. Boaz, chances are, is round about 45 to 50 years old. Ruth is closer to 30 it calls her, my daughter, as a show of respect, and because she is significantly younger than him. Not crazily so. I remember doing a, uh, uh, an assignment on the Scottish reformer John Knox in Bible college, and when he was 57 years old, he married a 17-year-old. Um, I struggled to have this, think of him the same way after I read that. But anyway, this is not happening here. And Boaz says to his young men, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He says to the young men, hey, that Moabite girl, don't touch her. Don't joke with her. No playing around. She's off limits. Possibly one of the most effective workplace sexual harassment policies ever instituted. Don't touch her. Leave her alone. And he says to Ruth, stay with my young woman. Do not isolate yourself from them. Stay with them and you will be protected. And I want to, I don't rabbit trail often, but I want to rabbit trail here. What's happening over here? Chivalry. Chivalry, right? I know it's unpopular, and I know in this crazy, crazy world that we live in, it's getting more and more unpopular. For men to treat women differently to the way they treat other men. God created men and women to have equal value. Men and women are equally valuable and worthy. And we got to hold that fact. Both of us are equally image bearers of God. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that much of the harm done to women and children in the world is done by males. It's true. Men are bigger, stronger, and uglier. We just are. (laughs) And some males have bought into the idea that they need to apologize for being men. I disagree. I completely disagree. What we need to do is bring back the idea of biblical masculinity, right? We need to bring it back. What we don't do is ditch it and pretend that men and women are completely equal and the same in every way, shape, or form, because we're not. And this is where chivalry comes in. Ladies, if your highest ideal is to be treated like a man, it's possibly the worst present you could possibly get because men treat each other poorly. We just do. Men are terrible towards other men for the most part. Right? We are. And this is where chivalry comes in. I'm not talking about simply opening doors for ladies, right? I don't really care about that. My wife doesn't care to have the door open for her. I'll do it from time to time. But we're talking about an attitude. That's what chivalry is. Do you treat women that are not your wife like they are your sister? Right? Not your brother. We are to treat, men are to treat women like they are our sister. Not our brother. Our sister, do women feel safe around you as a guy? Or are they creeped out? Are they afraid? Boaz, his example here, is that he sought to make sure that Ruth and the other young woman were safe. He sought to make sure that Naomi... At home at this time was provided for by allowing Ruth to glean more than she normally would have. Boaz here provides an example of an honorable man who seeks the good of woman without demeaning them or treating them as inferior. That's what we're after. That's what we're after. As men, we need to be like Boaz. And I think in, in Jesus, there's a perfect example of this. Jesus was able to have women with very broken pasts able to come to him and not feel demeaned, not feel like they would get taken advantage of, because Jesus treated women with integrity like they were his sister. I'm making a big deal about this because the world is a messed up place. The city is a messed up place. And there will be increasing pressure. There will be increasing pressure upon men to put down their masculinity and just act like there's no differences between men and women. Naomi said to Ruth that it is good for Ruth to stay near Boaz's woman, lest she be assaulted. That happens right here in this town. It must not happen right here in this church, though. We must be different. So here in this church... I really, truly mean this. We ought to look different to the world, and one of the ways in which we look different to the world is in how we treat women. Simple. Chivalry cannot die in this church. And if there's one kind of person that I am not going to be easy on, it's men that take advantage of women. Not tolerate it. We remember this for years to come. We feed the sheep, we keep the wolves away, and we shoot the wolves if we have to. That's a challenge to all you men. Moving on. Can I get an amen from someone? Amen, (laughs) brother. Verse 11. Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz says to Ruth, I've heard of your character. I've heard that you're working hard to protect your mother-in-law. And I've heard that you have turned from worshipping false gods to worshipping the true God. I have heard about that. I'm impressed. And so he prays for her in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. He prays for her. Why is he asking the Lord to reward Ruth, for what she's done. Is this some kind of earning of God's favor? I don't think so. It's the language of Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. What Boaz is praying for Ruth is that God, in his grace... Give her an inheritance in the future. Give her full joy. Give her full happiness and peace because she's chosen to believe in him. A reward not that she's earned, but a reward purely of his grace. And I love what this verse says in Colossians 3. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. God reward you, Ruth. God reward you. I know, he's saying, I know your circumstances are difficult, but look forward, look ahead, that the God of grace will reward you. Your circumstances may not be the best, you may not have the best boss. You may not have the best job. You might be having to work doubly hard as Ruth is here to provide for her mother-in-law. But she is to trust that God gives her inheritance to those that serve him. In verse 12, you have taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. This is imagery of birds, right? You're a little bird and you've taken refuge under the wing. Taken refuge from the storm, from the wind. Literally, you've taken shelter. And next week, we'll see how the same language of taking refuge under the wing of God as an unbeliever who comes into the family of God, we'll see how the same language is used in another remarkable way. That God uses Ruth's faith and blesses her in a remarkable way. But that's next week. You have to come back. And Boaz gets Ruth to then come eat with him and his workers at mealtime. She eats till she's satisfied. And as a widow, as a stranger, as a Moabite, Ruth is treated far better than she could possibly deserve. Boaz goes far beyond his lawful obligations to bless Ruth. He even says to them, leave out extra, extra barley, just just leave it there. Ruth's coming She'll get it. Leave out extra for her. Lavish blessing upon this woman. And so Ruth returns to Naomi. I'm not a farmer, but apparently you get your barley, you beat it out, and you take home the finished product. She brought home an epa of barley, about 20 liters. A big old sack of barley from her day. She also took Naomi some extra food from lunch. And Naomi is surprised at how much Ruth has gathered that day. And she says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. We remember in chapter 1 that when Naomi went into Bethlehem, she said, don't call me Naomi, which means sweetness. Call me Mara, which means bitter." Call me bitter old hag. That's what she's saying. But Naomi is beginning to discard her bitterness. And she says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. When she finds out that it's Boaz, she prays for him prays for him in verse 20, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She prays for Boaz and she gives thanks to God because God is providing in this difficult situation. Ruth says to her, the man with whom I worked, his name was Boaz. And I can just imagine the tone in Naomi's voice at this time. Oh, Boaz, he's a nice man. He's one of our redeemers. Very good, Ruth. Sorry, I don't do a 60 year old woman voice well, but. <laughs> she goes, wow, this is even better than I thought. We here see the first introduction of the concept of a Redeemer, which we will be looking at next week and specifically in chapter 4, where we see the fullness of that come out. But one thing we do know as as we come to a close here this morning... Boaz is a redeemer, and one of his functions in this book is to point us to the ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we can think upon here this morning is that Boaz points us to Christ because he gives abundantly to the undeserving Ruth. Ruth's got a right to glean from the edges of the field. But Boaz goes far, far beyond that. Boaz prays for Ruth. He invites her in for a meal. He protects her from young men. She allows her to gather far more grain than she ordinarily would have gotten. She gives to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Boaz gives far more abundantly than he had to Boaz had received grace from God and he was a gracious man Boaz was a very wealthy man and he used his wealth to bless Ruth and Naomi <coughs> Jesus Christ is a better Boaz 2nd Corinthians Chapter 8, verse 9. We're going to finish here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ, though he was rich, what does that mean? He was the Son of God seated with the Father. He lowered himself, he became a man. He entered into human history in the incarnation as a baby. He lowered himself, was born in a manger. He lived a humble life, a perfect life. And he lowered himself even to death upon a cross as we read in Philippians chapter 2. Death on a cross on our behalf. He went from his position, his high position, his position of richness, lowered himself, made himself poor on our behalf. Who? Our behalf. Us. Undeserving sinners. Aliens to the household of God. And by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ's sacrifice, God made a way for us, undeserving sinners, enemies of Him, just like the Moabites were, to be reconciled to Him, to be invited into His household. Though we were enemies, He calls us sons and daughters of God, children, so we can call God Father. It's amazing. You were not born into this world with God as your Father. He made you His child if you are a believer. He blessed you far more abundantly than any of us could ever deserve. All through His Son, Jesus Christ, who was rich and made Himself poor, that by His poverty He might make us rich and give us every. Spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus is a better Boaz. He is. And I'm looking forward to week 3 and to week 4 and to week 5. As we see the redemption that comes in Christ Jesus. Which is pictured here in Boaz. The Redeemer. We have much to be thankful for. If you're looking, you're looking in Ruth chapters one, two, three, and four, and you're going, Where is Jesus? Well, right through the book, you'll see. The concept of redemption that flows through here. Grace to the undeserving. It's here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus became poor, so that us, poor, sinful people, might become rich. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that heaven will be heaven as we behold the richness of your glory to us undeserving people who you have redeemed and you are redeeming. That we will spend an eternity comprehending and seeking to comprehend without fully comprehending How great your love has been towards us. I pray, Lord, that we would have glad hearts, thankful hearts. Hearts that realize that without you we have absolutely nothing. And that everything we do have ultimately comes from you. Father, we pray for protection for all of us. We pray for those that are sick. We pray for those that are out of town as they travel back today. Keep them safe. And as we go out into the world this week, Lord, may we have on our lips the truth of the God who lavishes richness upon those who have nothing and who deserve nothing. Jesus' name, amen.